Hello and welcome to Voices in Innovation from GigaOM. I'm your host, Johnny Baldusberger, and I am joined today by David Linthicum. Hey, David, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Happy Tuesday. Thank you. Uh, so we've brought you on because you are, uh, we are about to release, you've written the report, it's in my hands now, uh, a report on cloud observability that you uh, and Andy Thurai worked on. Uh, that should be dropping uh, this week. It actually may be out by the time you listen to this podcast. So I wanted to bring you on so we could kind of discuss the the ins and outs of this report. Um, it's a key criteria report, which uh, listeners are probably sick of me describing. So I'll leave it to a minimum at this point. Uh, but right off the bat, can you just tell us a little bit about what we mean when we say cloud observability? Yeah, observability is kind of a term. It actually came from physics. I looked up, looked it up, and it really means understanding holistically what information means. It's coming off of multiple dimensions. In this case, heterogeneous systems, things like that. So, observability in contrast to monitoring is the ability to kind of tie in what's going on out there and the operational operationalized data that's that's coming in from the various systems. It could be as many as ten thousand. And what that means to the health of the system, what that means to the business, what that means to disaster recovery, you know, what that means to security, what that means to government, what that means holistically to all these various aspects. And so it's not just monitoring system, but we're looking for things that are out of whack and, you know, uh, well, uh, fixing them in real time, but it's in essence understanding this stuff proactively and figuring out what the data means and what it means to the business, what it means to the healthy operations. And it's really kind of taking operational monitoring to the next level. You know, uh, just last week, we had uh, Chris Grundeman on the show talking about network observability. Uh, and we talked a little bit about the, uh, the difference between uh, monitoring and observability there. Uh, you know, the essentially the evolution of being able to see into your network. Uh, so let's let's kind of delve into the, that here. What do we mean when we say observability versus what most people understand as monitoring and, and seeing into your, your systems? Well, you think of monitoring as tactical and observability as strategic. And, and let me explain what that is. And so in other words, monitoring will tell me what's going on from a particular system at a particular time. And then as a human being, I can either kick off an automated process to fix it or like more likely than not, I'm gonna go fix it myself, replace a computer, uh, re replace a network node, things like that. And observability, by the way, is extended to database observability and operational observability, things like that. We're talking in the context of operational observability. And ultimately it's about considering everything. In other words, the ability to consider security data, data that's coming in off of the security systems, you know, looking at attack vectors, things that occurred in the past, things that will likely occur in the future. The ability to look at information as the ability to populate a knowledge database or a training database, to train a system as to how to respond to, you know, different operational interruptions that are likely to occur, which is self-healing. And so it's really kind of taking everything to the next level. And, and in my mind, and some people are defining it this way and some people are not, it's the ability to automate the human beings out of the equation because I think that's where the issue comes in. So in other words, if we're dependent on 
a human being to report the problem and another human being to fix the problem, that's going to be done in different ways. Different human beings are going to report problems in different ways based on their own experiences and their own behaviors. And the, the repair job that's going to happen from the operational point is going to be based on the experiences of a human being there. So it's about becoming consistent uh, with everything. So in other words, I can proactively spot a problem because I can look across my systems, whether it's security, governance, performance management, you know, database, databases, things like that. And I can figure out what the root cause of that problem is. And then I can kick off processes to repair the problem. And by the way, you know, I'm a process. I'm, I'm an AI ops system, for example. I'm not necessarily a human being that's doing that. And so we're not going to be able to make these very complex architectures that we're deploying now scale unless we're able to get to this level of automation and abstraction and leveraging the concept of observability really kind of is the only way to do that. You know, it's interesting you mentioned scaling because uh, when we talked about network observability, that was a key factor uh, in the necessity for observability. You know, when you have, uh, when you have a, to use network observability as an example, when you have a single closet with a server and you have, you know, 15 machines, it's not, not as big of a deal, but once you go, like you mentioned, 10,000 systems that you need to look into, uh, a, you need a lot more information and B, as you mentioned, like being able to automate that is incredibly important. One thing that's interesting to me personally is, you know, I got my, my information from technology as a youth from the, uh, the eighties and nineties, uh, hackers and tech movies. Uh, so my understanding of what we could do and where things were was completely off track when I actually ended up entering the tech industry. Why is it that the um, perception of observability in this case, where, you know, we have this, uh, I would say pop culture has this perception that a single person running uh, DOS on their, uh, their computer can see everything that's happening in the network where, uh, or system and, in reality, observability is really kind of beginning to blossom now. Yeah, we just didn't have the uh, technology horsepower and also the prices have come down of just a few years ago. So observability was uh, in essence impossible um, because of the cost of the systems that were you know, driving forward. So we had the notion of observability you know, years ago. I used to write papers on it. And, uh, you know, I was a CTO and a product CTO. I was dealing with operational kinds of things and EAI and all those sorts of things. But the reality is, um, you know, back when I got out of college and I'm 58 years old, um, I was building AI systems. And to build an AI system of any consequence, you know, it would cost about $20 million. Well, businesses aren't just going to spend that money. And by the way, that was 1985, $86. Right. So here we can spend about uh, about twenty dollars a month on the same sort of system, and then suddenly observability becomes becomes a, a key possibility. So it's not, I think, that we're getting smarter, even though we are getting smarter by a large extent. Is that the technology that we're able to weaponize for observability is becoming a commodity, and we're able to leverage it as a force multiplier. So I couldn't afford. Uh, those systems when I was a CTO and I couldn't sell those systems when I was a CTO. It was far too expensive. And, and probably people didn't really understand the value of them either. 
now people kind of get the value of machine learning capability, the ability to kind of emulate human learning within particular systems, and therefore the ability to replicate human um, you know, best practices uh, a thousand times over within a particular engine. And now it costs almost nothing to run. And so why wouldn't you want to weaponize it and make it work for you? And so, but, you know, there's a HAL concept that, uh, you know, we're, you know, kind of turning things over to the robots and that kind of stuff. It really isn't the case. What we're doing is, in essence, automating, you know, what our best practices are and, in essence, extending our knowledge by providing an automated capability of doing something that we could have 100 humans do as well and pay 100 humans to do as well. But they're not going to be as happy with the job. And this is something that can basically operate with almost perfect information. And so if we're going to get to a point where observability has is, is reached its pinnacle, we have some sort of a knowledge-based process that has visibility into on-premise systems, cloud-based systems, private cloud-based systems, edge computing, IoT-based systems, and can take that information. It's one thing to take that information, which is what monitoring is, and the ability to decipher it and then figure out predictive outcomes. In other words, when something there is, they're receiving IO errors as, as packets, you know, coming off a particular network router, and they know that router is likely going down based on the fact they've seen it a hundred times over, uh, very much like we do with our own human experience, and they can reroute, automatically reroute around that router and go ahead and start a trouble ticket to have a human being go out into the cloud-based uh, data, data center and, and replace, that, uh, replace that router. And by doing so, it's kind of the perfect mesh of what humans do well and what, uh, what machines do well. And also to the point you made earlier, it allows us to finally scale. I mean, one of the things that we're running into is we're hitting operational complexity where we're deploying multi-cloud systems, we're you know, uh, deploying cloud-based systems that are spanned across uh, legacy systems, on-premises systems, things are just getting much more complex. So we may have been dealing with a thousand services a few years ago. Now we're dealing with 10,000 services, you know, basically under the same umbrella. So when we try to operationalize that, it's too many moving parts, too much heterogeneity to in essence have humans keep up with it. And so either we're going to increase the number of humans we have around a hundred fold, which businesses are never gonna do, that's too much budget, or we're gonna figure out a way to in essence operate smarter and no, not harder. And then the automation observability is the way in which you want to do that. Now, having said that, we're not to the point where we have a pinnacle where we have these magic tools that we can plug in and everything's hunky-dory and they show up with the information already in flight in terms of how these things are going to be built. It's still a bit more trial and error as I found out when I did the observability report as to what the state of the art is and those sorts of things. But ultimately, if we're not able to get to that state, we're not going to allow these systems to scale. And either we do a couple of things. Number one, we go, we're gonna eliminate complexity by in essence, uh, making it a rule within the company that we only use one particular cloud platform. Well, that, that's silly because people wanna leverage best of breed technology and they may like the data predictive analytics capabilities of Google. They may like the storage capabilities of Amazon Web Services. They may like the you know, Windows NT and SQL Server cap database capabilities of Azure. And by in essence, eliminating those selections to reduce complexity, we're in essence eliminating creativity and innovation. And so that's the other argument. So when I say complexity is an issue and people said, yes, it is an issue, we see it, it's expensive. If we're hitting a wall, we're gonna simplify things by reducing the complexity, by limiting the technology that people are able to use just by decree. That's going to kill the business faster than running into the complexity wall because the developers who are leveraging the technology are not gonna be able to leverage the weapons of choice 
to go off and solve these issues. And so if you're a creative, innovative company and every company needs to be a creative, innovative company, leveraging technology as a force multiplier, that automatically you know, cuts down that capability. And so moving forward, you have to have the ability to allow these things to scale. You have to have the, all the technologies available for people to leverage and the operational complexity that you have to manage through. That's how we deal with observability. And that's the weapon of choice to make that happen as well as a number of tools to uh, support observability. You know, we're, we're talking a lot about the the cost, uh, the new tools that come about. Uh, just for my personal gratification, how often when writing one of these reports, do you sit back and think, you know, if I had had this 20 years ago, X issue would have been solved and I'd be a million dollars richer now? Well, I mean, I think there were a lot of great ideas. I mean, if you read, you know, IEEE, which I, you know, used to publish a lot in and some of the other, you know, magazine articles I wrote, we talked about concepts like this, but they just weren't pragmatic. And it's one thing, and certainly when I was younger, I never could understand why people didn't want to throw $20 million at my systems because it was a brilliant idea. But the reality is there's a marriage of business and a trade-off with what technology is able to do and what you have to pay for the technology. Number one, if you went back years, the technology wasn't that good. You know, ultimately the machine learning systems were there and the AI systems were there, but not to the point of where they are right now. The ability to leverage data in a predictive fashion and marry those with AI systems typically wasn't gonna be there. So a lot of papers were written in terms of conceptual things and people, you know, floated these things. But the reality is if they didn't have a pragmatic application, they weren't cheap enough to leverage, um, or what probably the word I'm looking for is efficient to leverage, and businesses weren't going to use them. I had to learn that the hard way. I mean, I used to come up with these these great ideas, and you know, as a CTO, and and go ahead and build it, and say, okay, well, the cost of goods sold is this, and therefore we're going to have to charge you a million dollars a copy. And they told they told me to go pound sand. Doesn't matter how good it is, they can't pay for that ultimately, but this technology, this amazing stuff. Now we're able to provide the similar technology, similar great ideas. You know, but do so at a thousands of the price. And that's what's, that's what's revolutionary right now. Think about it, the consumption model changed. Certainly the technologies evolved to a better state, but the real factor that's motivating people to move in these more innovative directions is the fact they can do this stuff on the cheap. So as I'm looking at this report, David, um, you know, the key criteria report divvies everything up into table stakes key criteria and emerging technology. Now the table stakes are the things that a technology has to have, a product must have before it's deemed usable or viable. Uh, for instance, a ripcord on a parachute. If you don't have the ripcord, it's not a parachute, it's not viable. Uh, and for observability, cloud observability, we have things like system connections, uh, performance management, root cause analysis, uh, full stack observability. Again, th these are the, the things that almost define cloud observability. What I find interesting is in key criteria, uh, there are several things that I would pull into AI, uh, pattern analysis, uh, drift identification, automation of solution, and of course, integration of DevOps, CloudOps, AIOps. Uh, it, it seems like the, the companies that are really pushing forward in observability are really doing so through the use of machine learning and AI. 
Yeah, that's very profound. I mean, the thing is in writing key criteria report, the table stakes, we kind of leverage as least common denominator. So in other words, we're not even going to consider you unless you're able to do this bare minimum of stuff. But when you get into the forward looking stuff and the, uh, you know, where this, this market is going, you're spot on. The ability to do pattern matching, the ability to build and discern, you know, predictive analytics to the point where we're able to build predictive data. In other words, look at where the behaviors are going to be into the future, basically by building predictive databases. So not just looking at algorithms to figure out instances of data based on past data, but the ability to build databases in terms of where we predict the systems moving forward. That's all advanced stuff that's going on in, in the R&D shops within these AI ops providers right now, or people who are supporting observability. And so the key criteria report, and we're probably going to do these at least once or twice a year, is going to morph over time. And more of those advanced capabilities are going to be pushed down into the, uh, into the table stakes, where it has to be bare minimum to move into. And you keep in mind that table stakes, in many instances, we may identify, and I don't want to knock out tools that may be a fit for a particular client, even though it doesn't have these advanced capabilities, maybe they don't need these advanced capabilities. They're looking for something more uh, less expensive and simplistic to operate. And that may be their critical success factor moving forward. And so I'm not trying to make, I'm trying to make sure that people aren't always hitting a thumbtack with a sledgehammer in many instances. You know, we have to hit a railroad tie with a sledgehammer to make that work. And it's really understanding that there's different technologies that can be leveraged as observability for different environments. I mean, some enterprises I deal with, certainly my clients, they may have very homogenous environments. They may not move to very complex heterogeneous environments and therefore simple tools. And perhaps things they already have on premise that they're moving into the observability space are gonna be just fine. They don't have to update their skill sets. They basically evolve versus revolutionizing their tool sets where others are in such a big mess that they might as well, you know, leverage something as a core force multiplier and spend as much money as they can to solve this issue because they're not gonna be able to move out of this mess unless they have some sort of an operational system that's able to remove them from the complexity, either through abstraction or, um, or automation. So it's always different strokes for different folks. I mean, the, the biggest thing I learned as an architect and as a CTO moving forward, that it's never one size fits all and that the, even though the, observab and the observability players that we, uh, we analyze, Andy and myself, um, they all take different approaches. One other thing I noticed is that no two are alike. Now they may have the same words and nomenclature and things like that, and they're obviously focusing on operations, but they're approaching observability with number one, a different approach and different mechanisms underneath the approach. And that may be fit in this kind of client or this kind of customer with this kind of a platform environment, but not these others. And so, that's what you need to consider. And typically it's gonna be more than one tool. You're gonna to have a suite of tools that does the observability, one for security management, governance, uh, AI ops and operational tools, data gathering, connectors, all these sorts of things. So I um, hate to use the word complex to deal with complexity, but ultimately we have to deal with fairly complex solutions that are tailored to deal with the complexity. And it's gonna be like that for the next few years until we get better at it. And this reminds me of back in the EAI space, back in the 90s, and I wrote the EAI book. We were in essence honing every solution, even though we had the basis of technology there with, with message brokers and integration brokers and things like that. They still had to be localized in a particular way and they were all different. And it was very difficult for me to build a tool or a technology that was gonna be uh, you know, applicable everywhere. And ultimately after a time as a young CTO, I learned the fact that you can't do that. 
and you have to get to the majority of the market and get to the majority of the market with the most valuable approaches, but it's only going to work for a uh, number of people, not everybody. And I think observability is going to be the same way. You said a lot of things that I kind of want to touch on. The first, of course, is that as John Collins is very fond of saying, there is no such thing as a silver bullet, a magic bullet that will uh, cover every instance for everybody. It doesn't exist, uh, and it likely never will. Um, and that's one reason we write these reports, uh, the key criteria and the accompanying radar report, so that the enterprise can really read through these two reports, see what's on the table, and understand the solution that's right for them. It's something I harp on in almost every episode of Voices in Innovation, is that you really need to understand what's happening, and that's what GigaOM is here to help you do. Uh Second of all, you mentioned that the key criteria, all the AI stuff we talked about, will likely eventually move to table stakes. And that, again, is something that is a common thread because, you know, if you look at the grand history, let's take cars, for example. There was a time where windshields were not a key criteria for a car to be viable. Uh, There was a time uh, just... You know, I was talking to my father the other day, and he mentioned that he won bingo and won uh, seatbelts because they didn't come in cars. They weren't a uh, table stake of having a car. They were uh, they were a key criteria, or even an emerging technology. Uh, and eventually, even the emerging technology will eventually become table stakes as things progress. Um, and the emerging technology really is about uh for this particular key criteria is about delving deeper getting even more information and being able to have intelligent systems that can analyze that one thing i want to to talk to you about very quickly as i know we're kind of running short on time now is the fact that the concept of observability is is changing uh, whenever you're dealing with a, a technology that is on the, you know, the forefront, whenever it's new, uh, different companies, different people have different definitions, different ideas of what it should be and how it should work. Where are we with cloud observability? How uh, homogeneous is the the concept or... Uh, how many different philosophies did you run into while you were writing these reports? I ran into a lot of different approaches. I mean, we told you that you really know two are alike. Uh, and so it was, you know, very typical of any emerging space. The cloud computing was like this. What's your definition of cloud computing? That, that was asked a ton back in, you know, 2008 when, you know, cloud computing started to inflect. So what I'm finding is that there's, there's really kind of two schools here. Uh, number one, there are existing monitoring tools that are moving into observability, and those are typically the big name uh, companies, you know, IBM and CA and things like that, that have monitoring and AI ops tools. And basically, they're morphing their tools in more innovative directions by leveraging AI as a predictive analytic system and leveraging data uh, a bit better than they did in the past. And obviously, those are going to be more valuable or people who are dealing with legacy systems and need to include cloud. And so it's not necessarily cloud first, but it, it does include cloud monitoring in terms, in, in terms of how they're gonna be done. Then there's a net new systems where 
they have a, a greenfield advantage. And so in other words, they built their thing from the ground up to leverage their durability in very innovative and creative ways. But they also have a tendency not to have the connectivity to all the various systems out there. In many instances, they require other technologies to connect into the systems. You know, and there's a lot of the providers that we looked at that connect in to the various systems, you know, through Splunk and other guys uh, that have access to the information. And, uh, and since they do something different than Splunk does, they're perfectly happy in doing that. So that's an approach. And there's others that are able to show up with pre-built databases, which I think is where things are going. And so in other words, instead of having to train a database over time by having problems and outages and things occur that it has to solve and learning by solving those problems, it shows up with a great deal of knowledge out of the gates in terms of how to deal with an SAP system going down, IO errors, network errors, things like that. But the, the biggest um, potential here is, is getting to a shareable uh, knowledge database, you know, which is something that's gonna be very difficult to get people to convince in doing because you have to have you know, people you know, co-locating their information. But if you think about it, um, knowledge bases are only as good as the data that they're observing. They're looking for patterns and outcomes and things like that. And so AI, people consider, you know, the HAL 9000 concept and it talking at us and things like that. AI is probably is pretty rudimentary and procedural when you get right down to it. So it thinks in very rudimentary ways, very primitive ways, you know, almost like a primitive brain. And moving forward, if we're able to take all this information and combine it into some sort of a centralized knowledge base, I mean, that's nirvana. And so in other words, I install a, a, an observability system because it approaches observability in a way that's going to be more germane to the, to the platforms I have in place. And I make a connection to a centralized knowledge base, a big brain, you know. And it, by the way, it's able to look at millions, perhaps billions of incidents and re resolutions. And it's able to basically leverage that knowledge right out of the gate you know, suddenly you have something that, uh, you know, gets very close to 100% utilization and 0% uh, outages. And moving forward, I think that's where the potential is. Um, the, the difficulty would come in is not building the technology. I think I can figure out how to build the technology and I'm sure that the vendors can. It's getting to a point where people are gonna share the information. But I think that's, where, that's how we're looking to take this stuff to the next level. Now that's, that, that's a common thread uh that we we come across especially when we're discussing ai uh is is in order for ai to be truly as wonderful as it can be and as helpful as it can be it has to have the knowledge uh to do that uh i think this has all been very fascinating uh we are right at time so uh david i want to thank you so much for coming on and talking about cloud observability with me so it was great speaking to you johnny and uh, for anyone out there, go to gigaohm.com. You can find all of these reports uh, from David and from Chris Grundeman, John Collins, who we've mentioned today. Uh, you can subscribe to the full body of GigaOM research and have access to really all of the information that we've done in the past that is still relevant today and all the information we have coming down the pipeline for the future. There's a lot of it and it will really help you uh, organize and strategize your own enterprise. You can also find uh, the archived episodes of Voices in Cloud, uh, which David, you hosted. A lot of really amazing information on there as well. For GigaOM, I'm Johnny Baldisberger, and this has been Voices in Innovation. Just listen.